Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you ready? Hey guys, come on, bring it in. I've scrolled through my contacts, sent out the invites, and our guests are about to arrive. Welcome back to the podcast dedicated to the most precious human pastime. I'm Gregory Porter, and this is The Hang. This podcast is beautifully simple. I sit down with friends, idols, and inspirations of mine to discover what makes them tick. Maybe there's a truth that you can tell by doing things that are kind of stylized. For me, he's a genius, a trailblazer, a hero of creativity. Big style, complete freedom on stage, even to the point it, it affected me one time. I tried to get a linen suit <laughs> made in your style. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for a wild and wonderful hour with David Byrne. You said you formed a band with some friends. That was Talking Heads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Just me and some people got together, you know. <laughs> I still didn't think that it would be any way to make a living. I just thought, oh, we're just doing this for fun. Let's see if anybody likes it. I wrote some songs and let's see what happens. So here, sit back, grab a drink, and let's do this. Come on. David Byrne. Hi, Gregory. Great to meet you. Yeah, a real pleasure to meet you, and 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 thank you for uh, joining me on the hang. And and uh, it's really wonderful, and really quite surreal to to talk with you. Several times when I lived in New York City, when I lived in Bed Stuy, Brooklyn, I would often ride my bike uh, from Brooklyn to the city, and I kept imagining that I saw you on on a bike. Several times. Well, that's possible. Uh, I have a friend who lives in the Leffert, Leffert Gardens uh-huh. over there. Yeah, near Crown Heights. And if this was in the city. I would always see you in the city. Oh, in the city, in the Manhattan. Yes, I'm here yeah. all the time. But I'd also be in Brooklyn sometimes going to visit friends or go to hear music or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was anyway, it was it's it's um you know, not knowing that you're going to run into, you know, kind of one of those uh, iconic people from your from from a younger days, uh, it's, it's, it's really a, a beautiful surprise to see on on the streets on a bike. Yeah, um, music, 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 and what it does to break down barriers, soften barriers, and and bring people into one. Uh, community. That's one thing that I want to talk about. Also, what I do mostly here on, on, on The Hang is get to the root and the core of people's musical understanding, their, their, the roots of them, where it came from, what was the inspirations from childhood, um, 
and what sparked uh, their desire to get on stage or to write music or, or you know. So what, what was the origins of, of, of that for you? Uh, I must have been in junior high school, which would so put me in like seventh, eighth or ninth grade. In New um, York? And no, I grew up in Baltimore, in the suburbs of Baltimore. And I think around that time there were, I began to hear, you know, like pop music, rock and roll, soul, R&B, whatever, on the transistor radio. On the, probably on an AM transistor radio, and the sound was probably terrible. <laughs> and but it it made me realize there's more music than what I was just hearing right around where I lived, which was almost nothing, and what my parents were playing, which was uh, a mixture of Pete Seeger, Scottish folk music, and uh, Mozart. And although I might have appreciated some of that, it wasn't really speaking to me. Right. Right, in, in right. my life. Particularly yeah. in oh, your youth, yeah. In my youth, yes. I wanted something that was, you know, <laughs> all the things that youthful people go through. So I heard that. It was a thing, I guess, that this, the city or the county did where they had bands play at a local, uh, I guess, elementary school cafeteria or auditorium. And they called it the Teen Center. Mm-hmm. and I, it might it might have been free. It might have been really cheap, but you'd go and see a band, and they were all cover bands. Mm-hmm. So I remember seeing a band that dressed up and played like Beatles songs. And mm-hmm. my memory was that they sounded just like the record. Then, you know, a week or two later, I went, and there was a, another band that was doing all Temptation songs, and they had the choreography down. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was... Total copies, uh, but it still, I was now I was hearing the stuff that I'd heard on the transistor radio. I was hearing it live, which had a huge impact. (laughs) Okay, so that's, I think I might have changed now with the internet, but that was my first encounter. And of course, it made me realize that there's another world out there. There's another, people who are different than the people around me and that are maybe going through some of the same things I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people like me out there somewhere. So I felt like I'm not alone anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may never meet these people, but I know they're out there. Uh-huh. Another thing that happened to me was it was a public library nearby, walking distance. And as I still do today, you could check music out of the public library. You could check out vinyl records for three days. I can't imagine what shape the vinyl was in. <laughs> but, but it was a no-risk thing. Uh, of course, now you can hear all this on the internet. But at that time, if you'd heard about something or you were curious about something, you could take it out of the library and hear it. Mm. Um, I remember I'd heard about, <laughs> I'd heard about Ornette Coleman. Mm-hmm. So I borrowed an Ornette Coleman record from the public library. And then I heard about Balinese Gamelon, and I borrowed that. <laughs> and I heard about, uh, oh, it might have been some, something like Velvet Underground or some you know, rock band. And so I got that out of the public library. And it, this just, so a world just kept on opening up. Yeah. And uh, 
I never thought that I could be part of that world. I thought that these people are professionals. They have studied, they've gone to school for this. They know how to play their instruments and other things that they do. And I'm just a, you know, a high school kid, whatever. And even, and I, I'm like so far behind, I'll never catch up with them. So I, but I made music for enjoyment with my friends. Sometimes just, pick, uh, just picked up the guitar and. Yeah. I eventually taught myself how to play, uh, started playing in like local coffee, coffee houses, they were called. You and playing maybe folk music or pop music or something. I, I played pop music to a folk audience uh-huh. and they had, I realized that they had never heard. There were all these little cliques and, and, you know, music groups. Mm-hmm. The, the audience that was in these uh, folk coffee houses had never heard great pop, pop music writing. Yeah. That was like, that was, we don't listen to that. That's right. crap. And uh, I thought, no, there's actually some really good writing going on there. Yeah. So I was playing, I would play it for them. And they thought, who wrote that song? Where'd you hear that? <laughs> um, so that was my start. And I never thought that I would, it would be uh, a profession or a way to make a living. I thought that this was just something I did for enjoyment. And I continued doing that with friends and writing songs. Okay, against, eventually writing songs, but I still just thought it was just for fun. Wow. And am I allowed to ask you? Yes, okay. yes. Of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Okay, I'm going to preface that by saying how we, uh, how we connected, as far as I understand it. Uh-huh. I, d- I do a playlist every month, and, um, and I put your song, Mr. Holland, on there yeah. uh, a little while back. And it was a play- I believe it was a playlist of music that I thought gave a, f- a feeling of uh, – positive and, and hopefulness. Mm-hmm. I think that was the theme of that playlist. And I thought that song embodied that. Yeah. And of course I still, I have a million questions about the song and everything, but, and then somehow that got, I understand that got back to you and you reached out through uh, somebody represents me. And of course I was completely flattered and I go, he actually found out that I, <laughs> Put his song on there, and he actually wants to talk to me. I would love to do that. <laughs> of course, man, because you know I, I was always and have always been struck by your your freedom, what in your music, your freedom uh, in your performance on stage, and your freedom in bringing other people unlike yourself, bringing other people, other cultures, other influences into your music. That's fascinating to me. Um, You know, the gospel sound can can stretch itself in a whole bunch of different genres, and it can be heard. And it's absolutely, it can be heard in your music, and and you're consciously doing it. It's in the lyric. It's not just like, okay, now I'll just get a couple of Black girls to sing and, and, and do something. <laughs> it's in the song. The soulfulness is in the song. The redemption, that story is in the song. You know, even, even whether it's intended or not, it's there. But um, aside from that, um, you've been in my consciousness since uh, probably before the MTV age, but visually, 
how how striking your videos were. And uh, I feel you were probably in one of the MTV pioneers. Yeah, would you say? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, at that time, they were starved for content. They, <laughs> um, not everything we did was good, but they would probably <laughs> take it all because they needed stuff. Uh, but it was really great for for me for the yeah. band. We could get if you did a video, they'd start playing it in like a week. <laughs> You just say, we got a video for you, and they'd start running it. Yeah. Well, your stuff was always so, it's like, first of all, where does the energy come from? And and it was all, always so visually interesting, uh, theatrical. And um, it's, you know, I, I don't mean to equate everything to to my my church experience, but um, it's like, it's like, um, the Holy Ghost of David Byrne, you know, <laughs> and everybody gets it. And you, you, you're bringing other people in to this energy that's happening on stage. Not, not just the audience, but your, but the band members. I mean, you know, maybe it's coming from all of you at the same time, but I, I kind of feel like you're the, the, the ringleader that's, 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 that's driving this, this energy. And that's, that's, uh, it's something I've seen all my life in different settings, and it's so powerful to see. And you absolutely want to bring the audience in with you on this experience. Then, and refreshing myself with it, but now it's just like, golly, golly. If I can go on stage and do what you do to an audience, lift them up and make them think and make make their quirkiness and their unusualness and their differences okay and i've done what i'm trying what i'm trying to do with music and that's bring people together and i suspect that that's what you're ultimately what you're trying to do and have been trying to do for a long time i think you're right i think you're right uh and in terms of me and gospel music i think um first time i heard I did not grow up in the church. Yeah. That's maybe not a surprise. Uh, and But the first time I heard gospel music, first time I went to church and heard gospel music, I realized that the same well was being tapped here. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and now I'm maybe exaggerating a little bit, but I realized the same well was being tapped, but there was also... It wasn't for commercial reasons. It wasn't for money. Mm -hmm. I mean, the church needs money, but it wasn't done for money. Yeah, it was straight from the heart. So I thought this this is something extraordinary. So it became part of my listening. Over the years, over, <laughs> over the years, I realized that gospel evolved over decades and decades, and mm -hmm. then I. I hear different artists and I go, oh my God, that sounds like Parliament Funkadelic. Right. Or, <laughs> oh my God, that sounds like Roger Troutman. Or, right. you know, I go, that, but that's a gospel song. Right. And, <laughs> yes. So I realized that, yes, it's much wider than I thought at first. Yeah. Well, gospel went from influencing other musics to being influenced by other musics now. I mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, they were the influence influencers of pop. Now pop is the influencers of 
of gospel music, which is, which is, you know, is is music is give and take. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, I and and it's one thing that that um, you know you were talking about my song, uh, Mr. Holland, being a song of hope. I'm thinking about that song and thinking about a device that a songwriter uses. They can take a negative experience and in a way, rewrite it or refashion it to make it a positive experience or a positive utterance or a positive song. Now, Mr. Holland is a, is a positive song, but it comes from a negative experience. Uh, it's su- that's suggested in the lyric. Yeah. Uh, M- Mr. Holland, I, I'm, I'm thanking Mr. Holland for making no trouble of my skin. It's not a problem, nor has it ever been. So this child has experienced that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and he's been burned and he's a little bit kind of like shocked that somebody is treating him like a regular Joe, like a normal guy, like a regular 15 year old, you know? And well, that's, I was 15 when I had the experience, but it happened many, many times. But um, yeah, so this is a, a thing, a device that I use. It's, It's a, it's a protest song without question an optimistic protest song, but it's subtle protest. It's a protest that, that, is, is, that doesn't beat anybody over the head, not initially. It's yeah, you never, you never lay out exactly what happened. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, that, to me, that ambiguity allows me to get into it and go, I don't know what happened to this young man. Yeah. But, but whatever it was, I can, I can guess, I can guess. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the singer is not going to tell me yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. I remember this period of time coming back from my freshman year, maybe after the first few weeks uh, in, in, in college, you come back and you see your buddies in high school. And in some way, you reminisce about your high school years. And I started to tell them some of the stories and my experiences. They were there with me. But the racial things that happened to me, they... Somehow they were like, they never knew. And they thought I was joking mm-hmm. that I had been frisked 18 times. They thought I was joking that, you know, I went to a girl's house and the father said, get away from my door inward. You know, they thought I was, they mm-hmm. thought these were jokes. And it's like, no way, no way. I was like, yeah, it really happened. And, and in some way we were living, we were friends, but living in two different worlds. And, um, so, yeah, I think, I think in a way, you know, 30 years later, I want to have the opportunity to, to remember these, these things and, and write about them. It's still a surprise to, to some of my, my old friends. I'm not surprised, actually. I, uh, I mean, I learned a lot. Uh, I, did, I toured with a, a band, a band that's uh, in a current movie that, that's out now. I toured with them in 20, uh, 2018, pretty much the whole year. We rode the bus together. And, you know, after the shows, we'd get on the bus and drive to the next town. And we'd talk about, what did you do today? What happened to you today? And we all became very close. Close enough that some of the band members would, would open up and tell me about those what are they called? Minor aggressions? Micro, uh, microaggressions. Microaggressions. They were, you just, somebody that, something that happened. And they would just say, <laughs> and this person said this. And it wasn't like 
wasn't like they were using the n-word anything like that yeah it was just it's very small and it's very slight but it's very telling yeah and this would happen pretty reliably to them every day wherever we were uh and i it completely as you said it completely opened my eyes to what i had to think what would it be like to live with this every day of your life yeah you have to be pretty pretty strong to not go into just hatred and anger anyway well I luckily we luckily we all make music together right yeah. and we have we have this uh this outlet this ability to express ourselves uh in the music i think i think to get any frustrations uh, that we have or desire uh, for equality, all of that is, is 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 coming out in the music. If you listen to um, the music of the black experience, the desire of the black experience, it's not to overtake anybody. It's not to take your shit. It's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it is to uh, be treated with a, a, a respect and, a, and and an equality. And I think about all of the music that expresses that from Marvin Gaye. Donnie Hathaway, uh, to the staple singers, to the it's like, haven't we said it? Haven't we said it over and over again <laughs> that we're not gonna take your shit and or or or, or, or just try to dominate? It's just be, becoming properly part of the fabric of of this country. And and to the degree, and I and I bet it's the same for you. So in this time of extreme polarization. And I, I read something about your thinking about this and a de- desire to try to help fix this. I don't know, just a little a bit about a bike ride that you did in Staten on Staten Staten Island. Oh right, yes, yes. Right. Trying to find <laughs> find a way that these differences, or, or in some ways, finding a way to find our commonalities, going what with what we can agree on first. The extreme polarization that we have in the country is just exacerbated by a president who tweaked and and played with with word and racism and and uh and misogyny and and who who played with these things as as though it were just they were political devices but these are these are things that that people listen to and and take in and they're fighting words not political they are. people people internalize them and uh they they start to feel like it's okay yeah that it's it's okay to say these things it's okay to think these things and eventually it's okay to act on these things a lot of us have thought well i thought we left this behind i thought we moved on from this we're gonna have to do this all over again aren't we <laughs> yeah well okay if we do that's what that's what we have to do um you mentioned uh, my my trip to Staten Island that I wrote about. Uh, yeah, I have like a, a journalism uh, thing that I do with some with some other folks. And uh, and this one, I I've been going on bike rides around the different boroughs in New York, and often inviting band members to come with me and say, "Let's go, hey, let's go to Jackson Heights. Uh, let's see what's going on out there. What it feels like. I mean, it's pandemic, a lot of shut down, but people are still out." Streets are shut down. Kids are playing in the street. This is in the warm weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at one point I said, okay, 
We haven't done Staten Island. Staten Island's the borough that voted for Trump in New York. And, but it's also home of the Wu-Tang Clan. So you put those, <laughs> you put those two together. <laughs> and, and that's what's out there. So I said, let's go. Uh, and uh, it was eye-opening. I thought it was eye-opening. We went to a, we stopped at a Sri Lankan restaurant. There's a Sri Lankan community out there. And turned out was one of the examples of Sri Lanka was engaged in a bitter civil war. Yeah. And people from both sides settled in Staten Island. So now they're in the same neighborhood. And they want to go to the same restaurants and same grocery stores. So they have now they have to get along. Yeah. Which they did. They learned to get along. It was great. It is, yeah, it is a very mixed kind of neighborhood. Uh, there's a, a street that's named after named after Wu Tang and a large mural. There's a whole um, <laughs> there's hundreds of wild turkeys that wander the streets of Staten Island, <laughs> and these are big birds, and uh, you don't want to mess with them. They just wow. walk out in front of traffic, and the cars have to stop. And I thought, you know. Somebody's going to be thinking Thanksgiving dinner here. Right. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, yes, that was that was interesting, and, and and I thought, okay, I felt different when I came back mm-hmm. after uh, going. Yeah, after seeing all these different people and what they were doing, there was yes, there was also a young man who was in a like an MTV reality show. And I think the cliche that we probably think of is people who get on those shows, they become famous instantly. And then, then they have trouble when the show's over. Yeah. What do I do with my life now? Well, this guy decided, excuse me, this guy decided to start a kind of mentoring center, mm-hmm. uh, a youth center and a, a place for kids. And he passed away, but it's still, it's still going. It's still yeah. going. Yeah. And I thought, all right, he he broke the kind of broke the mold of what you think somebody who kind of moved on from being a reality star mm-hmm. could be. Some tragic ending. Yeah. Yeah. He turned it into something really good, really, really constructive. Hey guys, you're listening to The Hang. Hit subscribe or follow on your podcast thingamajig of choice to get every episode of The Hang fresh off the presses. I lost a feeling, but you give me meaning again. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Can we go back in time a little bit musically and, and, and talk about the, your. <laughs> I mean, you skipped over a bit your musical experience. And, and and how it was formed in childhood. How does that translate to what then became to be on stage? Ah, and and, and the, the presence and the and the and the, and the power uh, and and all of those those great songs. How does how did, how does that happen? Oh, step by step. Uh, I would say. And, I mean, it's a long, long career. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's a crazy question, I know, but, but I, I can get I, to I'm just some so of fascinated it. by the confidence that you have with what it is that you do on stage. Well, of course, it didn't start fully blown. The things I do now, I could never have done it when I was a younger man. I just wouldn't have known how to. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had the confidence to do it. Uh, I know that when, when I started, uh, Put together a band with some friends of mine, and and I still didn't think that it, it would be any way to make make a living. I just thought, oh, we're just doing this for fun. Let's see if anybody likes it. I wrote some songs, and let's see what happens. People, a few people did like it. Small audience, twenty people, whatever, liked it. And then you know they came back and brought some of their friends. So it it grew little by little. And in the beginning, I felt like. The band and I wanted to define ourselves by what we were not. We're not going to pretend to be somebody, something we're not on stage. We're, we're, I'm going to sing in, my, in the kind of language, in the kind of voice that I normally use. It might sound a little weird, but I'm not going to try and sound like I'm from Texas or Alabama or wherever. No I'm going to sound like yeah. me. I'm yeah. going to be me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to sing about my life and the things that I'm thinking about, the things that I'm thinking about. I mean, a lot of those things maybe are not, not what is usual for a pop song or whatever. But I thought, well, that's what I got to try and do. And if nobody likes it, well, fine. I'll try and find other employment. But uh, it worked out. But so first it was like, take away everything. We're not going to have fancy outfits. We're not going to have any light on stage it's just going to be turn on the white light turn it off when the show's over that's it we're not going to have anything which was a way of like saying we're going to strip it down to the base level and when we figure out what we want to do with the lights then we'll add that in Uh but we're not going to try and put it in right from the beginning because we don't know enough and so little by little we could add those things back in I had a, I kind of had a, a philosophical problem about performing on stage. I thought, well, just, just from what I said, I wanted it to be real. I wanted it to be the real me. I wanted it to be what, this is who I am on stage. Authenticity. And then, yeah, authentic. So I'm, we're touring around and I'm, I remember when I was, uh, we were touring, I think in Japan. And I went to see like Japanese traditional theater, Kabuki and uh, Bunraku with the puppets. Mm-hmm. I went to Bali after the tour was over with some friends and uh, 
I saw a lot of the, the rituals and the dances and the music that they do there. Mm-hmm. They are not naturalistic at all. They don't move like we would normally move. Their voices are kind of, they affect their voices somehow, not electronically. But yeah, they're stylized. Everything is very, very stylized. The costumes, everything. And I, saw, and I thought, maybe this idea that I have of uh, authenticity, maybe I have to revise that a little bit. That maybe there's a truth that you can tell by, by doing things that are kind of stylized, that are not just like walking down the street and this is just the way I move. But when you can actually start dancing or you actually start you wear some kind of costume and it makes a statement and it's saying something, that's telling a truth that is maybe deeper than the truth you could tell by just being yourself. It's still you up there, but you're giving a kind of stylized version of yourself that maybe tells a, a deeper kind of truth. It's like storytelling in a way. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. I got a cold. I got tested. I'm negative, but I still have a cold. Anyway, oh, yes. I thought, oh, I'm not going to get a cold. I, I'm not close to anybody. Right. Um, so that then allowed me to start to bring in things like uh, kind of dance moves and costumes, lighting effects, all kinds of things onto the performances. The dance moves, again, I didn't want it to be dance moves that were that I saw somebody else doing. Mm-hmm. I wanted the, the performers and I to kind of come by it naturally. Like, what does this song want to make you do? How do you mm-hmm. want to move when you hear this song? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Okay, do that. Do that. <laughs> and that kind of thing. Okay, remember that. Okay, now we're going to add this, this other thing that you did. So it's kind of like people, it evolved by itself, and then we just kind of stylized it a bit. And I just, I wasn't sure that was going to work. I felt, I felt like I, I, I was liking it, but I wasn't sure it was going to work because I thought people might say, well, now you're, you're so stylized, you're not authentic anymore. You're not you anymore. You're just doing, the, doing these things. But I think I managed to do it in a way that I, that I stayed true to myself. You said you formed a band with some friends. Um, that was Talking Heads. That's Talking yeah. Heads. You can't. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you know, you know, we, <laughs> just me and some people got together. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and were, were they all from New York area? Or? No, we all we all moved. Three of us had all gone to the same art school in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and we all gravitated to New York. They had two of them had painting degrees, I think, and I was already here helping a friend out uh, paint their paint their loft where they were living, and and I was writing songs at the same time. And uh, yeah, so we were just old friends, and they came. We had and some of us, uh, the drummer and I, had played together in a band in school, and we got together and and uh, eventually. There was a club nearby, CBGB's, where bands were playing. And we just said, David, we got some songs. What, why don't, should we audition there? Should we try this? And I thought, we may as well try. We can only fail. You know, if, if it doesn't work, well, okay. But we might never forgive ourselves if we didn't try. And we don't know that it's going to fail. It seemed to me that we 
we got together because we were friends and had shared musical tastes, not so much because we were great, had great musical chops. So it's not like, uh, you know, I went around and went, who's the best, who's the best keyboard player here? And who's this, who, who can I get this kind of put together a band like that? This was kind of like, who do I want to hang out with and likes the same music that I like? We can put on music and, and listen to that and then come up with a song. And we may not be have all the skills and chops of, of some other people, but we got enough to, to put a song across. Mm-hmm. Was the, I mean, what we see that happens in that's, that's, that's visually recorded and given to the audience the costumes, the colors, these these grays, these these kind of washed out blues, this 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 look, this stage energy that you you say is an organic thing. It seems to be a completely full package. That it looks like something that somebody would would absolutely orchestrate. But it, 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 and it it came together organically, piece by piece. Yes. Um- the music we were making evolved and changed a little bit. Uh, so we realized that we had, we, in order to reproduce it live, we needed to add more members to the band, more mm-hmm. players, which we did little by little. But we didn't do that, that whole, the whole show that we ended up doing right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that having more people play, the slight change in direction that we were doing with our music created a very different feeling on stage for me. It was much more ecstatic, much more transcendent. I felt like I was being lifted out of myself. That my songs before that were about my anxieties. And, and now they were, those were still there. But the music was a, a force that was lifting me out of it, was supporting me. And uh, I thought, so I could see that this was going to change what the show was going to be too. Which, of course, didn't happen instantly but over some time over some tours uh yes the movement evolved and the lighting evolved and until it became what you said like all of us in these gray outfits and with the, the lighting that we had and i think this is the thing that i that i'm talking about at the beginning of of our conversation i called it the holy ghost of, of- <laughs> of David Byrne or even even uh you know the talking heads when you said you were lifted i can feel it in the performance i can feel it in the even even musically these are rhythmically and lyrically not mantras but definitely songs that uh are are meant for the audience to sing along hmm. and the whole room to be lifted. It's a kind of spiritual feeling. This, this, uh, this thing you're, you're describing. I thought so. I know when we were writing and recording songs, it was important to me that that feeling uh, came across in myself, but that's what I felt. That's what the music made me feel. Of course, I never knew whether that would translate to an audience. That's a, yeah, that's a bit of a risk. That's a bit of a, a leap. They might, you might think, oh, I'm feeling it, uh, but they might not be feeling it. So, but, well, they did, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> um, and it's around that time where, I, yes, I would agree that the 
music we were doing, although it might not always sound like gospel music, it shares a lot with gospel music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, in my latest record, I have some songs that are inspired by gospel without question. And to some degree, some of them are just straight up gospel. But there's a thing that can happen with with gospel, blues, certain types of rhythms, certain licks. You're talking about, uh, you know, being influenced by things that have happened all over the world, gamelan, whatever whatever it be, uh, visually or, or, or musically. Sometimes when that's taken and, and brought into to popular culture, I'm not saying that the original is forgotten, but sometimes people forget, you know, what the original sounded like. And so when you come back with the original, it becomes instead of the child is more recognized than the father. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, so like, I could make a gospel song, and somebody could can say, <laughs> somebody could say, "Oh, yeah, that's kind of has a David Byrne feel, or or, or a Talking Heads <laughs> feel." You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. So I made. <laughs> and I would say that's very flattering, but I think you you got you missed something here, right? Yeah. Or, or you can make a um. You know, you could write a blues song, and it's like, oh yeah, man, that's like that's that's kind of a Stones feel. <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> but my point is, I grew up in in, in gospel music, and when, when I say grew up, I guess you know, till I was eighteen years old, I was going to church. My mother was a minister, and it was a almost everyday thing. And so, I have an understanding of of gospel music, and that was my entry into music. And so, at the point at which I make songs that I think are like absolutely gospel music. The critics called it something else. They're like, "Yo, he's going in a more pop direction." I was like, "This is what I—I I went back actually to the roots. I went back to the roots. It's basically uh-huh. I went back to playing the blues, and y'all missed it. You called it the Stones instead of the blues. You understand what right, I'm saying? Right. I see. And because they've lost where those hand claps came from, where that tambourine rhythm came from, where that call and response came from." This is not a negative thing, by the way, what I'm talking about, because it's just seeping into everybody's consciousness in a beautiful way. It's not a negative thing. I don't I don't I'm not considering it theft or or anything cultural appropriation. Not not that at all. But because it's 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 gone and it's stretched its wings so far and it's anointed so many people, you forget the beginning of it. And so I, I like the fact that I can make a song like, you know, maybe a song like Liquid Spirit or uh, a song on my new record, Thank You. Or, and, and they could be, they could play on pop radio and it can play on jazz radio and the gospel will still be there, but in, in some kind of s- sneaky way, in some kind of covert way, the message of my mother is still there. And nobody, nobody knows. Now, um, I could go through your catalog and pull out songs that you that you've written uh, or, or or performed. It's like a song, "Take Me to Take Me to the River." Can, can you express what is being said? The origins. Okay, that's a, that's an Al Green song. Yeah, and uh, it was written by him and uh, Teeny Hodges, and I think. Uh, Teeny's brother. Absolutely. The three of them. 
I think the three of them wrote it together. When you when you put your foot into it, what what did you feel? I felt here was this here this wonderful song, very wonderful to do, and audiences seemed to like it. But I was always aware that it it to me held these contradictions in it. Here is a song about secular love that's all, that's using a lot of church and biblical imagery in it. It's kind of going back and forth from secular love to the church and kind of mixing it all together. And I was not having grown up in that tradition. I, I thought, what, what is this? How can he do this? How can, is that okay that he's doing this? And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a huge thing, a huge thing in my family, oh my a God. huge thing as oh my God. a singer coming out of a church I, I was told, and I, I've said it many times on on this uh, platform, that you know the the old church ladies used to say, "If you don't use it for God, He's going to take it away from you." And so <laughs> I, I was, I was, I'll scare you. I was right. I was always scared to to straddle that line that that Ray Charles and Al Green would, mm-hmm. would, would you know talking about love and God or love and the spiritual experience and and. This this kind of thing, and you you chose that song to to perform. We always loved uh, Al Green. That's one of the artists that we listened to at home, the band and I. Uh, and so at one point, I think again it might have been Chris, the drummer, who said, "Hey, why don't we do uh, do this Al Green song? Why don't we do an Al Green song?" I thought that's going to be the last thing anybody expects from us because of the world we're in at that moment. We're in the kind of the the white punk punk rock world and to do it to bring an Al Green song uh into that world and do it sincerely do it uh it's gonna be a big surprise totally worked fine but it was very unexpected so in that context the song was in a way saying there's lots of other music out there that that we listen to this was kind of it's a way of saying to the audience you know we listen to this music too People are listening to you and they're watching you and un- unintentionally tearing down these, these, these barriers that can separate us and, and welcoming more people in by a song choice. Yeah, it's just very simple, easy thing to do, but it actually, it actually does something. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really extraordinary. Um, you're expanding the places and ways that, your music, the music of, of, of Talking Heads can be experienced. Can you tell me about the, the project that you did with Spike Lee? Oh, yeah. So, wow. A few years ago, I, I did a record. And, I, of course, not every, every time, but I thought, okay, I would love to go out and perform this. But how am I going to do it? I don't want to do, go out and do what I've done before. How am I going to do this? How can, how can I do this that's, like for me, something I've never done before? And I thought of uh, second-line groups in New Orleans, samba schools in Brazil, drumline in a lot of colleges. And I thought, oh, if I, could get, if I could get the drummers to move while they're playing, if I could break apart the drum kit and do what those groups do, okay, I'm not going to have 100 drummers, but if I'm con- – figure out how many do I need. If I could do that so they could move and we could all be moving all over the place, the drummer would not be relegated to being 
in the back of the room on, on a riser. Mm-hmm. The drummer could be anywhere on stage. Technically, there was a lot of stuff we had to figure out, but that was the idea. Take that and bring it into whatever, a pop music context and see, see how that could, what you could do with that. Of course, once, once everybody's mobile, you don't realize, I realize now the stage can be empty. We can have every, oh, you know, the, we have mic, radio microphones on our drums and everything else. So we don't have to have any risers, amplifiers, any of that stuff on stage that you normally see. We can have a completely open playing field, area to move in. We can make all kinds of shapes. We can cluster together. We can all make a line. We can make circles. We can do all kinds of stuff that we'll have to help bring out the music and help show kind of the relationships between us in the in the in the group it just opened it just opened a door to what was possible so we did that we toured with that and then there was an opportunity i got invited to say well would you like to bring that show to broadway to a broadway theater and i thought i would love to try that because i think that's going to be a very different audience they're either not going to like it or they're going to go with it but i have to adjust the show a little bit for them for a Broadway audience. I have to like bring them in easy. We're not going to hit them over the head right in the beginning, <laughs> which you can do when I'm on a, doing a concert tour. I can just, here we go. <laughs> but for this, I got to come get them used to it. Here's what we're doing. Here's what it sounds like. Here's what it feels like. I'm talking to you. I'm right here in front of you. And I'm, it's just me. Here we <laughs> are. We're all just standing here. And uh, once they, so we could take a little bit longer to, establish what the whole thing was about and i could also talk to the audience more if i was you know doing a concert and started talking too much people would go all right that's enough talking it's uh we came here for the music <laughs> and so, but on broadway they don't mind if you talk right <laughs> <laughs> so i did a little more talking and it meant that i could bring the whole thing into the present day and, and into the world that we live in. I could talk about, talk about issues. I could talk about the world around. But as you said about your, your song, in many cases, I could do it without, without pointing a finger too directly. I could talk about it, but not, kind of, not, point, not point out blame. But I could let the audience kind of make the connection. I could take it somewhere, and then they could make the connection. or. Uh, and this, to me, this is what really worked. I thought a lot of issues that we, I felt the show was about, I felt like I didn't even have to talk about it. The audience sees it on stage. They see people working together, have, you know, having this uplifting experience, and they feel that too. And so you don't have to tell them, well, see, we can work together. You don't have this, to tell them. They're seeing this, it. This, this is this is a race and sexuality and, and race. Yes, gender, sexuality, everything. They're seeing it all work together and they go. This is what we can be. We're yeah. doing it. Yeah, <laughs> you're feeling it. You're dancing. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to tell you. Right. You're you're feeling it. You're right. Um, right. Right. So and I thought uh, I'm gonna. That's. <laughs> I thought mm, maybe maybe it'd be nice to preserve this on film, and I I happen to have Spike Lee's phone number, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, uh, which is one of the advantages of 
being around as long as I have, that you come in contact and get to know different people. So I reached out to him and said, I'd like you to come and see our show. I think there might be an interest in turning it into a film. And so that's, so that's what we did. American Utopia. Spike yeah. did an amazing job. Yeah. yeah. David, when, when I watch your performances, um, I'm struck by the quality of, of attention and uh, it, 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 it tantamount to a great jazz band. The energy moves around stage from person to person. Um, in a way, you're the ringleader, but that energy is, is, is given to so many people on stage. Can you talk about that? In this recent show, I realized that um, when we could all move around, when we all became mobile, then people who are sometimes relegated to the background didn't have to be there anymore. And I go to the back. And instead of it being like, oh, the singer's always in the front and the band is always in the back. Sometimes the band can be in the front and the singer's just kind of grooving in the back there, uh, appreciating what, what the drummers are doing. And we can take it further with each person in the band. Uh, we kind of want the audience to get to know them as a person, not just as, well, they're a great musician and they play in, in, the, in the group. But like they each have not only individual skills, but they have a personality and it comes across in, in how they move and how they play and uh, on their face. And you thought, let's get the audience to, to see the, the, whatever, the humanity, the personality of every single band member. So you, you're kind of getting to know them one by one. And each one can step forward and come to the front and at various times. And you go, oh, that's, that's the person that does that. And that's the person that does that. And that's the person that has this amazing smile. Or that's the person that really does this crazy dance. Um, and I thought then it's it's not just me with backing band. It's the whole it's a whole group that can't function if parts of it don't don't fall apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I it for me it, it it seems as though watching the the documentation uh, and and the the footage from early Talking Heads. Uh, to American Utopia, it seems like it, it, it was evident in the early years as well. I mean, that was a, that was a thing. I think it was. I think it was uh, evident in the early, early years. It just came more and more to the, to the fore as time went by. It became more and more explicit that, yeah. you could, that the whole thing could be much more democratic. Yeah. After a career that's, you know, spanned so many decades, do you, do you still feel you have lots more to say, lots more to express in terms of recording? I hope so. I, I don't have some grand plan. I didn't know that that show that, that Spike filmed, I didn't know that that would turn out the way it did. I didn't know it would be successful. I didn't know that we could do the whole thing of everybody moving around and having a show like that. I didn't know it was possible, but I thought we'd try it. But so I... It's not like I have a plan like, oh, here's what, here's the next dream. Here's the next mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that could be. Um, yeah, let it, let it come organically. I and this, this is a, just a personal question for me as watching your career and having had you uh, be such a, a big part of that time in, oh, if I could pull the years, early, uh, 
early and mid eighties, such a, such a big part of my, what, what, what was coming to me musically, big style, complete freedom on stage, even to the point um, it, 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 it affected me one time. I tried to get a, I tried to get a linen suit and made in your style. <laughs> It 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 didn't it didn't work out. My actually, my shoulders were already too broad to begin with. <laughs> so when I had when I when I I, I I all I did was just buy a fat man suit and try to have it you know tailored to be cool. It didn't work out. But I'm just. Are you comfortable with the iconic status that that you've achieved? Are you comfortable with? you know, songs that you were writing for enjoyment now being classified as more than just pop songs, as art. Are you comfortable with becoming like an, in a way, an elder statesman of cool? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Yeah. uh, I'm flattered and comfortable with, with all of that, but also I don't entirely give myself credit or take all the credit. I feel like a lot of what we do with the people we work with, the other people we play with, where we are at a particular time and place that that makes a space for us. Yeah. Lots of happy accidents that happen. Yeah. I want to be very careful that I don't let it go to my head. Uh, Those kinds of things. I mean, it's very flattering. There's a humility there, and you also have taken that power, that energy, and redirected in ways in which you could could help us as as a people. And that's that's to me that's to that's to be admired. It's in your music, it's in the writing. It's without question on stage in your presentation. You're bringing everybody in, and I've I've coined it. Uh, the Holy Ghost of, of the Holy Ghost of David <laughs> Byrne. <laughs> so, man, really, really special moment to have you. Uh, just really, just talk about your origins and talk about some of the things that have allowed us to be in each other's lives. Really, really extraordinary. And, and thank you. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. I hope uh, we. Actually, get to get together at some point, yeah. physically at some point. Yeah, that yeah. would be cool, man. I, you know, once this pandemic, you know, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I was reading your your writing about the the bike ride in Staten Island. I was like, damn, that would be cool, you know, <laughs> to be on my big Dutch bike riding along and, and, and having these experiences. But really cool, really cool to have you and really pick your brain. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for for blessing me and and uh, thank you for for playing my song and thank you for in a way creating this connection. Uh, I really appreciate it, David. Thank you. Great. Yeah, me too. Me too. Very nice. Thank you. So, so good. What a privilege. Many thanks to David for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you for listening to The Hang. And remember, feel free to share us and let your crew know about this podcast. This is The Hang, after all. Until next time, I'm Gregory Porter, and this has been a Cup and Nuzzle production. Cup and Nuzzle.